0: The following program is presented to you by the New York State School Boards Association. NISBA's President's Gavel podcast is supported by the Harris Beach Educational Institution's team of attorneys. Harris Beach successfully represents more than 130 school districts and BOCES clients throughout New York State on matters involving school district operations, labor and employment matters, cybersecurity, and student issues. Learn more at www.harrisbeach.com.
1: As we emerge from the COVID-19 pandemic and schools reopen their doors to in-person learning, all are facing the effects of this transition and concerns about learning loss are universal. In fact, more than half of public school teachers report significant learning loss for students, both academically and from a social emotional standpoint. During NISBA's virtual member event last month, Susanna Loeb, Director at the Annenberg Institute at Brown University and Professor of Education and International and Public Affairs, spoke about the learning needs of students following the pandemic. In today's episode of The President's Gavel, we continue this conversation with Susanna. Let's call this meeting to order.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to NISBA's President's Gavel podcast. I'm your host, Mark Snyder, Leadership Development Manager at the New York State School Boards Association. We are very pleased to welcome our guest today, Susanna Loeb. Susanna is the director of the Annenberg Institute at Brown University and a professor of education at International and Public Affairs. Susanna, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me here, Mark. The pandemic has created myriad challenges for every school community, and as students have returned to the classroom, many districts find themselves struggling to address the learning loss that is a direct result of COVID. There is so much in the news about learning loss, but can you tell us what you've seen in terms of COVID's impact on student learning?
1: Yes, thanks. That's a great question. Um, as we know, the COVID pandemic disrupted schooling and has really a tremendous had a, a tremendous impact on schools and students. You can look at studies across the nation, and they've shown that students this year are significantly behind where similar students were in their learning pre-pandemic. As one example, there's a July 2020 paper from McKinsey and & Company, and they estimated that kindergartens through sixth grade students were about four months behind on average in English, and about five months behind in math. There's another data set from Amplify, which is a curriculum and assessment provider that covered approximately 400,000 students in 17 states. And they show that only 37% of kindergartners were on track in early reading by the middle of last school year. And that compares to 57% the year before, just prior to the pandemic. So, in terms of student numbers, that translates into over half a million additional kindergarten students being behind in reading and needing additional supports to catch up. And that's just kindergarten students and just in reading. The data shows that students across grade levels and across content areas are behind. These studies find big average effects and that. Are, they are in all likelihood underestimates of the true effect because they can only assess students who actually are present in school. And we know that many students have missed school frequently during the pandemic. And also the studies tend to describe learning as of the end of 2021 school year and the schools um, have continued to be disrupted this fall. So overall, most of the studies probably underestimate the effects of the pandemic on students. And even then the estimated effects are really big.
0: Well, and that data certainly does speak volumes to the needs that our schools are facing right now. Uh, and as we look at the, the numbers, uh, have some groups been more affected by the pandemic than others?
1: De- definitely. So the pandemic clearly affected different students differently. You know, some students even thrived staying at home and going to school virtually. Unfortunately, on average, the pandemic had negative effects on Um, on students, they had overall negative effects and also clearly exacerbated already existing inequalities such as those by income and by race and ethnicity. So many students in lower income households, for example, had to worry about things like stable internet connections, available laptops to log into school sessions, and how to get additional personalized attention that they needed if they were struggling with homework assignments or class materials. And these additional challenges resulted in high poverty students and students of color being even further behind their peers. And we can look at those same reports that I just talked about. So the McKinsey report found that students in majority black schools ended the year six months behind in both math and reading compared to students in majority white schools, which ended up just four months behind in math and three months behind in reading. So almost double the negative effect in majority black than majority white schools. And similarly, students in predominantly low-income schools lost more learning during the pandemic than their peers in high-income schools. So seven months in math and six months in learning compared to four months in math and three months in learning. So again, about twice as bad an effect for schools serving uh, low-income students and students of color. So overall, it's clear that the pandemic impacted low income students and students of color far more than it did other students.
0: Absolutely. As as is the case in in many situations, it seems like our underserved populations of students are really bearing the brunt of the the pandemic and the, the after effects of it. And given this reality for so many of our students. What are some research-based options for addressing these challenges, especially with those students who, are, who have fallen the most behind?
1: Yeah, Mark, I think that's really the key question. You know, what can we do given that we have this situation? And, you know, rarely in research do we have so much evidence that points to the promise of a specific intervention for addressing our current needs. And in this case, it's really what people call high-impact tutoring. If our goal is to accelerate student learning and reengage students in school, then high impact tutoring is really the only intervention that has proven effective across a range of grade levels and content areas and locations. Tutoring um, has not only been shown to be effective in a number of studies, but it's actually been shown to be more effective than most other interventions, including quite costly interventions such as class size reduction, professional development for teachers, or new technologies in schools. The the research base is actually, from a researcher's perspective, pretty cool. So researchers have performed over 150 random control trials, and these are really uh, well-designed studies that identify the effects of the program and isolate that true effect on student learning And they show positive results of tutoring across contexts with effects in most cases ranging from an additional half a year to more than a year of additional learning over one academic year of tutoring. So a really substantial gain for students. And importantly, as you mentioned, these results are based largely on studies of students who are far behind grade level. So tutoring turns out to be a really effective way to accelerate learning for those with substantial learning needs, like we have now um, as a result of the pandemic. So we've, we've reviewed the studies, all these 150 studies, to try to identify the characteristics of most effective tutoring, and it may not be what you typically think of tutoring. So it's not, a 24-hour homework helpline. It's effective or high-impact tutoring includes um, that it's embedded in schools, so it's part of the school day. There's a minimum of three days per week, so really substantial amount of tutoring. It's in small groups with trained and supported tutors, because you really need a supportive relationship between a student and a tutor in order to get the benefits. And the content of the tutoring sessions really needs to be driven by the needs of those specific students so that you can address those needs and then they can flourish in their classrooms. Um, In many ways, the effectiveness of tutoring is not so surprising given that tutoring can target those specific needs. And that allows students uh, to really engage in their grade level content and uh, be successful in their classes. And it's really, you know, tutoring is, often the intervention of choice for those who can afford it. We spent, as a, in the US, individuals buying tutoring spent $42 billion on tutoring last year alone, benefiting many students, but really increasing a lot of the inequalities that we're talking about. And so there are many reasons um, that high-impact tutoring may be the best option in addressing the, the learning loss that COVID brought on.
0: And- And uh, I'm glad you mentioned, you know, $42 billion uh, spent on uh, tutoring our students. Uh, And our audience is primarily comprised of board members. And, of course, board members have the fiduciary responsibility to their communities. And high-impact tutoring sounds like it would be a viable option for our our districts looking to address learning loss, but uh, we – How do we balance our students' needs with uh, the board's need to also be fiscally responsible?
1: I I think that's that's a terrific question. And it's a terrific question because high-impact tutoring is actually costly. It's really quite an investment, but it's important to keep in mind that it's also cost-effective. So for what you're gaining from it, the costs really appear from the research to be worthwhile. That said, the costs currently appear to run in the range of $1,200 to $2,500 per student for a year of high impact tutoring. There's a bunch of research underway that should help us understand how to reduce that cost while while retaining its efficacy. That may mean providing it only for a semester instead of a school year for students who don't need it for longer, or it could mean using technology well in combination with the tutoring in order to get the most out of it at a lower cost. The the good news on the finance side is that we're really in a unique moment in time when we have additional funding available, really specifically almost for high impact tutoring. And this is for the next several years, and we can use that time to figure out how to incorporate it more fully into the core instructional program. The reason that we have this, why this is a special moment in time, is because the American Rescue Plan Act, or ARPA, provides substantial funds to states and school districts and stipulates that states have to set aside 5% of those funds and districts have to set aside 20% of those funds, specifically for addressing COVID-disrupted learning and using evidence-based approaches, which tutoring fits right in. This means that $28 billion in funding is available for evidence-based interventions to address COVID-disrupted learning over the next several years. And high-impact tutoring is actually specifically named as an example of this type of evidence-based intervention. If you look at the Department of Education's COVID-19 handbook, it provides guidance to districts and states on how to use the ARPA funding, and high-impact tutoring is directly mentioned in there, as it should be, given the research. So funding availability will, of course, be different depending on the state and the district. And some states, such as Tennessee and Texas, are subsidizing tutoring. As long as the program's aligned with best practices, other states help spread high-impact tutoring by providing resources such as a centralized source of tutors. So you can look at North Carolina, for example, with the North Carolina Education Corps. And um, we have a list on our website of what states are doing in this area to get a sense of how states are using the ARPA funds and the ESSER funds. Uh, to see what, what New York is doing for this and what states around the country are doing. But we're really in this unique position where suddenly there is all these funds uh, that is, are really uh, well designed to help states and districts make use of the potential of high impact tutoring.
0: Yes, it's definitely a unique position for school boards to be uh, uh, flush with funds. <laughs> uh, and prior to coming to NISBA uh, I myself was a teacher. And, and as a former teacher, I can empathize with those in the fields who are overworked and stressed out. So are these options for high-impact tutoring you know, going to put another burden on our already exhausted teachers and staff?
1: Well, you're definitely right. It's clearly been a challenging time and district schools and educators are understandably overwhelmed. However, we're also finding through our work with districts implementing high impact tutoring that we actually have a window op- opportunity right now, not only because of the funding that's coming in, that is, of course, a big, a big challenge that's easier to get over now than ever before, But with schools already being disrupted and focused on finding solution, school leaders are searching for and considering new options. And so while people are overwhelmed, they're also kind of open to um, incorporating some of these research-based interventions in ways that they might not have been when things were moving along in a more traditional way. So and I think the other thing is through research we really now better understand what drives impact in, tu- in tutoring. And so we have much clearer understanding of best practices. And there's technical assistance and tools and all sorts of things like that that can help uh, teachers and schools and districts to implement these best practices much more easily than they could have five years ago. And, and you can take a look on our website. We have lots of uh, information pointing you to different places. but schools and teachers definitely are overwhelmed, but high-impact tutoring is a solution that is proven to support students and educators to be successful. It really helps in many ways take um, the burden off of uh, teachers in particular. And with funding available now, it's really a good time to, to think seriously about implementing tutoring.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and as you know, Susanna, a school board will manage their district through policy. Are there ways that a Board of Education can leverage policy to address learning loss and the systemic inequities that are a root cause of them?
1: Oh, definitely. Policy can be a really strong lever for change. So for tutoring po- uh, policy in particular, the trick is to make sure that it includes quality guardrails so that the kind of tutoring that schools are putting in really is high-quality, high-impact, and then to support the implementation. And we we again have a brief on our website to guide policy development, but I'm going to share a couple of highlights, or I'd like to. Um, any tutoring policy should require that tutoring programs have either an independent uh, experimental evidence that they're effective at improving students' uh, learning, or It should include features like I've been talking about that make programs more likely to be effective. So these are the guardrails. And in particular, five guardrails are important for for policies done by school districts or uh, school boards or states. Um, First, tutoring should really be embedded into the existing uh, school day, either during the school day or immediately before or after school. And this is really important because these programs have a significantly higher likelihood of getting students to attend and in fact reaching the students who need it most. So it's going to be most equitable if you can do it during the school day or really connected to the school day right before or right after school. Second, the tutoring sessions should include a minimum of three sessions a week in order for these to be effective you really need to develop this strong tutor student relationship that allows the tutor to address the specific needs of each of their students and so you want it to you want quite a bit of it at least three sessions a week third students should work with a consistent tutor and that tutor should be supported by ongoing oversight and coaching. So again, the consistent tutor is needed for that strong relationship. And just like schools, you just want to make sure that that everything is going smoothly and that tutors are just getting better over time. And so ongoing oversight and coaching is really important there. Fourth, and they're just five, the program should use data to inform the tutoring sessions. So again, the key of this is is that the tutor knows the student and knows that student's needs. And the student shouldn't need to come and say, this is what I don't understand. Many students don't know what they don't understand. So you really need to use some sorts of formative assessments or information from the school or from the teacher to know what that student needs and to make sure that the tutoring is addressing those needs. And then finally, the tutoring materials should be aligned with with, um, research and state standards and be high quality. That those materials should help the, the tutors teach the material that the students need to cover and should engage the students well. And sometimes schools have high-quality material that they're using, and then the tutor can just base the tutoring sessions over off of that. But not all schools have high-quality material, and so then you should pull the material from outside and just make sure that it's really engaging and really on target. So those are you want to make sure that the programs have those five elements. And then it's also important to provide funding for districts basically to design and initially implement the programs well, and then for continuous improvement. And because really, again, this is this time when we've got a couple of years to try this, we've got funding, but in order to know whether it's effective to continuously improve it um, so that when the funding runs out from ARPA, You know whether this is an important uh, intervention to incorporate in the core instructional program or whether something else would be better. Our our sense is that this, that the districts will really want to keep this because it's been shown to be so effective in the past. So those are are some highlights. And I also encourage those who want to know more to read the informational brief that we have on our website about that, or just to reach out uh, to me at the National Student Support Accelerator. I'm happy to give more details on any of this.
0: Thank you, and that's that's a very nice checklist for an effective tutoring policy. And also, I think that that's great advice for progress monitoring of the success of the program once it has been integrated into the district. Uh, It really does sound like uh, high impact tutoring could be a viable option for equitable and effective learning acceleration in instances where we have that learning loss that's taking place as a result of the pandemic. So what should school board members do if they would like to pursue this type of tutoring in their district? Yes,
1: school board members, as you know, of course, are in a really unique position of influence. And um, I would encourage you to share what you've learned as a school board member about this approach, about uh, effective and equitable tutoring with other board members, with other members of your community. Um, If your district is currently operating a tutoring program, I'd encourage you to learn about it. I would ask, does it have the characteristics that we just went through of high impact tutoring? That will determine whether the district's funding is being spent well, which is an important part of of being a school board member. If the program seems well-structured, then track the program's outcomes in this kind of continuous uh, improvement approach that that Mark was mentioning so that we know um, whether you want to keep it, expand it, what you want to do with it in the long run, and just so that it's better as, as it moves forward. Almost always, the first time you put something in, you can always improve it. If your district's tutoring program doesn't seem to align with best practices, find out why and encourage the leadership to adapt the program's model to better align with what we know is effective. We've seen many districts adopt a homework help model, which does serve a purpose students come in knowing their question, they ask a specific question, it helps them with homework, but it isn't what we're talking about today. It won't provide that kind of substantial additional learning that the evidence shows is possible with high-impact tutoring. To support districts in in improving their tutoring program, there's a free and simple to use tool on our website that allows a tutoring program to self-assess their program against best practices and then just provide some recommendations about how to better align. That's that's called the Tutoring Quality Improvement System. And if you've got a tutoring program, I just encourage your districts to to use this tool to, to make sure it's designed to maximize the benefits for your district's students. If your district does not operate a tutoring program, understand why and consider advocating for adoption of a high-impact tutoring program because they've really Uh, Shown to have effects. We've got a wide range of advocacy design and implementation materials available at studentsupportaccelerator.org, which is our website, but you can always just reach out to me as well. Um, We'd be happy to be your thought partner in this important work. I think as school board members, you've got this key role to play and we would be happy to help in any way that we can.
0: Uh, that's great. And and once again, you mentioned your website a few times, so I just wanted to highlight it, studentsupportaccelerator.org, correct? Yes, that's right. Great. Uh, and Susanna, thank you for sitting down and talking with me today and for sharing your perspective and your, uh, your wisdom on learning loss and how best to address it with our listeners.
1: Thanks very much, Mark. It was a pleasure. And... Um, I, it's such an important time to help our students reengage in school, and uh, so we'd love to do anything that we can do to help.
0: Yes, and I certainly agree. And I'd also like to thank my NISBA colleagues working behind the scenes to make it possible to bring this podcast to you. Thank you to Megan DiGennaro, uh, Al Marlin, and Alyssa Mayello. My name is Mark Snyder, Leadership Development Manager, and this has been a production of NISBA's President's Gabble.
1: And this meeting is now adjourned.